If you have your Bibles, turn to Joel chapter 1. We're starting a new series called Restored today. And uh, today we'll do Joel chapter 1. Next week, of course, is Mother's Day. Uh, and we won't be in the book of Joel. I couldn't find a Mother's Day message in the book of Joel. I'm sure it was there, but I'm not up for that task. So I'm preaching a message next week called The Handiwork of Grace. And uh, it is going, I'm, I'm really fired up. Started working on it a little bit this morning. And so uh, really fired up about that message next week. And then the following week on the 15th, we'll get back to the book of Joel. Uh, while you're turning there, maybe you've already gotten there. Joel is in the middle of the book, uh, middle of the Bible. It's one of the minor prophets. Uh, so keep, keep searching until you find it. Some of you, it may just be quicker to go ahead and go to the concordance, find the page number. Uh, while you're turning, a couple of things. First of all, let me just say what a joy it is to look to my right and your left over here in this section over here with all of our beautiful little babies and children over here, and I love it. The reason, one of the reasons I'm saying this, because there was some yuha, holy crazy guy, on Twitter this week who said, parents, uh, leave your babies in the nursery. And I just want you to know, please don't. I mean, do, but don't. I love babies crying in the middle of the, church, uh, middle of the sermon. In fact, it just shows me that I'm speaking loud enough for them to hear. Uh, <laughs> It, it is life to our church uh, for you to be here and for our children to be here. And so we thank God for you. Not just here, there's some here too. Uh, it's exciting and, and I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. We still have more in the in, uh, preschool area, but uh, love our children joining us here and these parents. All right. Uh, that being said, uh, second thing, just a moment, uh, if I could just take a moment I know that you hear about uh, giving tithes and offerings to the Lord. I know you do. Uh, we do it at the beginning of the worship gathering, but can I just stop right here because we're going to be dealing with some things that rob us of joy. Um, and can, let me just say very clearly, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, for you to find the fullness of joy, you have to give tithes and offerings to the Lord. Not because it's part of a church function, but because it is what followers of Jesus do. To be obedient and faithful to God, we must give our tithes and offerings. Now, again, I'm not giving you percentages and I'm not telling you pre-tax, post-tax, whatever. I'm just saying you must be faithful. Uh, and I say that primarily to uh, newer believers or uh, uh, those who are young families, because Edie and I had to step into that and grow into that. And we're still stepping and growing even now and giving our tithes and offerings to the Lord. But I also say it to some of our more um, uh, Baptist type folk, if you're holding back your tithe and offering from the Lord uh, because it's a protest, uh, that is in rebellion against God. And it's not about the church. It's not even about me. It's about you and your relationship with God and about the community of believers to which you belong. And so I just want to encourage you to uh, uh, talk to God about that as well. Uh, this is important stuff. And, and I say it as a loving pastor. I, I love you guys. And I want you to find the fullness of joy. I really do. I want you to walk in that joy as followers of Jesus. Um, all right. So get that out of the way. Uh, Joel chapter 1 begins us on a journey uh, where we're looking at how to find restoration. 
To be restored or uh, to have something restored means either it goes back to its original owner, uh, you can restore something to its original owner, or you fix it up so it's usable again. Okay, so it's, it's one of those two things. You can look at that in Merriam-Webster dictionary and you have those two kind of definitions. And so uh, what we're talking about is really both of those. We're talking about you and I as followers of Jesus um, uh, being fully engaged with the owner of our life, who is Jesus. And um, Jesus uh, restoring us to the place of fullness of joy and life, and hope, and peace. Uh, if, you, if you're a follower of Jesus, and like I am, and, and this message, although I try to let whoever, how, wherever you are in your spiritual journey, I, I try to craft a message so that those who are far from God, don't know God, don't care about God, can hear a message and understand it, and, and, and at least have an inkling of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I try to do that every message, uh, and I'll try to hit that some today, but this message is for people who are followers of Jesus, primarily people who are members of our church. That's what this message is about. So I, want, I, I just want to say that up front. There's, there shouldn't be any confusion about this. Um, and, and if you're a follower of Jesus and, and you've been a member of our church or a member of a church as a follower of Jesus, if you're like me, you've been a, a follower of Jesus longer than you've not been a follower of Jesus. I've been a follower of Jesus for more than four decades. And that's not a long time in, in, uh, in Baptist years, I know. Uh, but it is indicative of uh, where I should be in my, in, in my walk. I should be mature, right? I should, I should be mature. Four decades of walking with Jesus should make me mature as a follower of Jesus. And many of you have, have walked with Jesus for uh, that period of time or longer, or you're just starting. Wherever you are on that journey, Here's a couple of things that I can just tell you from my own personal experience. And do you remember when you came to meet Jesus as Savior and King, when, when he forgave your sin and uh, forever, and you embraced him as your Lord, and in that moment you were transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, you, the guilt of your sin was removed, and you were entered into by the Holy Spirit, the very family of God. You became sons and daughters of the living God. You remember that moment? That's a lot of, a lot of church phrases. Uh, you were lost, but then you were found. Uh, you were blind, but then you, were, you could see. You were dead, but you were uh, then made alive. And, and if you remember that moment, you remember that is the ultimate restoration. That's how you are ultimately restored. We know that what God did by sending Jesus to die for our sin upon a cross, to be raised from the dead, um, was to restore us into God's family, to bring us into that place that God originally intended us to be, and that is part of his family. But our sin had separated us from God, and so we were, uh, we were empty and incomplete. We were living a hopeless life because we were separated from God. But God in his great love, because of his great love that he, with which he loved us, he sent Jesus to rescue us, and Jesus became our restoration. Now, I, that happened for me when I was 11 years old. I'm 54 um, this year, uh, be 55 uh, in August, August 25th. Uh, so I'll be 55. So, so I, I became a follower of Jesus at 11, be 55 this year. And I can honestly say that um, even though I became part of God's family at 11, there have been 
many, many multitudes of seasons where I lost my joy and I've lost my hope and I've lost my peace. My soul withered up and it seemed as if hope was gone and joy was gone. And, and there were reasons for that. Some of those reasons were circumstances. There were seasons as a 15-year-old when a girl broke up with me, my joy was gone. But that's because my joy was in that relationship rather than in God, even as a follower of Jesus. And then um, uh, later in life, it was because of my sin. And, and sin, by the way, sin is the greatest enemy of joy that we have. As followers of Jesus, it's the greatest enemy that you have. It's the greatest enemy that I have. As a follower of Jesus, you sin, and your sin blocks intimacy with God. And we just sang about it. The, the place where we find the fullness of joy is in the presence of God, living intimately with Him. In fact, what we find in Joel chapter 1 that we're looking at today, what we find here is that the only way for us to find joy is in intimacy with God. So if I could tell you a little bit that your joy withers, and it could be circumstance or it could be sin, it could be a combination of both those things. But ultimately and finally, we lose our joy and we lack joy in everyday life because we're not fully surrendered to the living God. Not every tragedy that leads to trauma in our soul is a result of our sin. So listen, and I, want, I, I repeat this. Not every tragedy that is trauma to our soul is a result of our sin. But every tragedy that is trauma to our soul is leveraged by God to lead us to purity and holiness and faithfulness to Him. Every single one. Every bad thing that I've ever experienced as a follower of Jesus, God has used, and depending on where you are on the spectrum of the sovereignty of God, God has ordained so that I, as a follower of Jesus, might grow more pure, more holy, and more faithful to Him. Now, what we're going to see in Joel chapter 1 is there's this great plague that happens to the people of God. Plague, P-L-A-G-U-E. Not everybody's from the uh, uh, deep uh, uh, liquid south like I am, so you might not understand plague. Plague, P-L-A-G-U-E. There were a bunch of locusts that came and ate up all the crops in Judah. And they were gone. Everything's gone. All the grain is gone, all the wheat is gone, all the, all the barley is gone, everything's gone. When there are no crops, then the livestock begin to suffer. There's nothing for them to eat, and so they're gone. They're dying on the pasture. There's nothing for them to eat. They're gone. Uh, a byproduct of that, as Joel described it, is the way of worship was gone. Uh, in the Old Testament system, you might not know this, the Old Testament system, what was essential for worship was sacrifice. And the sacrifices included livestock and wheat and grain. Without wheat and grain and livestock to sacrifice, there is no worship. And so the people of the Old Testament were looking for a sacrifice that could never happen because there was nothing for which they could make the sacrifice. Just as an aside, theologically, the reason, the reason 
we know there is possibility of joy is because the sacrifice for us has already been made, and His name is Jesus Christ. And that is the sacrifice that brings us into the family of God. It is the sacrifice that brings us into intimacy with God. It is the sacrifice that sustains us and perfects us. We don't need grain or goats. We've got Jesus. And because the sacrifice has been made, we can live in intimacy with God. For the people of Joel's day, that wasn't happening. So uh, what happens is Joel is sent by God with a message from the Lord to them to help them see how they can find restoration. Now, a couple of things about this restoration. They were going to be restored, but not um, by a miraculous growing of grain. They were going to be restored not by a miraculous healing of the goats or the cattle or the sheep. They were going to be restored in the most supreme and important way, and that is through intimacy with God. I know this is church, and I know this may be hard for us to fathom, but can we stop for a second? And can I just tell you, next week, will some of y'all sit right here in front of me? They're like... I mean, I look at that. Are y'all scared of me? I mean, it's like a whomp right there. Anyway, just you in the back, you can't see it, but there's like a whole section. Thank you so much. But right in the middle, so it looks like I'm preaching at you. Okay, yes, give him that. Yeah, perfect. All right, so <laughs> y- y'all have no idea what goes on in my mind while I'm up here preaching. It's just, it, um, anyway, so. I've forgotten where I was. Uh, so Joel is sent by God to help the people of God find joy again. Their joy had withered. And it makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, the description of this great catastrophe is pretty profound. We'll look at a few of the verses in a minute. But the, the description of the catastrophe is pretty profound. A bunch of locusts came and ate everything, and everything's gone. And the imagery was everything's gone. So there is no hope. Verse 12 says that uh, the, the priests, uh, or uh, verse 12 says that joy has been withered away from the sons and daughters of men. There is no joy. Verse 16 says that the priests uh, no longer have joy and gladness. It's gone. The people no longer have joy and gladness. It's gone. So here's, here, again, here's a question. Have you ever been there? And joy was gone. Joy withered away. Whatever the circumstance, whatever the situation, joy is gone. Maybe you're here today and you don't have joy. And you might have little inklings of joy, but as a follower of Jesus, you and I have the possibility and the potential to live in the fullness of joy every day. But we're like David was when David cried out, oh God, will you restore to me the joy of my salvation. That's the way we feel. There's something separating us from joy. And so what Joel is sent by God to do is give a message to the people. And the message is this. When, when joy withers, only God uh, can restore us. Uh, only, only God can restore the joy that's missing. Um, and and I, 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 we'll see this more later, but I've got to say it here. If you're looking for joy... I mean joy. I mean stuff that fills you up joy. 
contentment, joy, peace, joy, hope, joy. If you're looking for joy or life or anything in any other source other than God, please know you will be sorely disappointed every day of your life. In fact, I would contend that that's one of the reasons why people who know Jesus are are joyless. It's not because Jesus has done anything wrong. It's, it's not because God is, has left them. The reason we're joyless as followers of Jesus is because we're not looking to Jesus to give us joy. We're looking something else, whether it's a financial windfall or whether it's a new uh, toy that we can play with or whether it's a, 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 a relationship that, that if it would just turn around, everything would be all right. Or, or maybe it's uh, politics. Man, if we could just get a new governor, a new president, everything would be better. Uh, that may be true, but that is not the source of joy. You want joy in your life? Then there's one place where you're going to find it. There's one place where we can find joy that is full and overflowing, and that is God himself. Only God can restore what's lost. And Jesus taught this in John 15. I know you, you, you maybe you get tired of hearing me quote John 15. I, I love John 15, uh, not just the vine and the branches analogy that Jesus makes, but but later on, he says, he says, all right, here's what you need to do. You need to abide in my love just as I abide in my Father's love. If you obey my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have obeyed my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy might remain in you and your joy might be full. And that's what we want. We want fullness of joy. But Sometimes it withers. And rightly, you know, it just seems natural for it to wither. If there is a, a great catastrophe that strikes, I don't know, maybe like a pandemic, maybe our joy disappears. But it shouldn't. It mustn't for followers of Jesus. So what I want us to do, and, and again, this is, going to be one of those messages where I'm going to, I'm going to speak some, some pretty uh, pointed things to us today. And it's pointed because it's important for us to hear it. It's not because I'm mad about it. I just want you to hear some of the things that, that I think are important for us to hear today. Um, I, I'll tell you what my wife or my daughters or my mom or my dad would tell me. If, if I were looking for joy in any other place or any other source other than God, I, I'll tell you what, what they would tell me because they love me. Stop it. Just stop it. It's not going to work. Joy can only be found, only, only be found in intimate fellowship with God. So as we walk down this path, I, I just want you to see quickly how, how God led the children of Israel toward fullness of joy again. This isn't the end of the story. This is the beginning of the story. So it's important for you to know this is the beginning of the story. Um, so if, if, if God is going to restore joy in our life, the very first thing that we have to do, and I'm trying to focus on how we can do this, God's got his part to do, but we've got our part to do. 
God's part is the great part. Our part is just the faithful, pure, holy part, okay? So the very things that you and I were created by Jesus to do, those are the things that we're supposed to do. All right, so what, what is it that we're to do? First, we've got to embrace the teaching moment or the teachable moment. We've got to embrace this teachable moment that, that, uh, that we encounter, and encounter through the difficult days. Now, for Joel's people of Judah, it was a locust plague. And the locust plague had robbed them of everything. Do you know that sometimes, and this is, again, something that my dad has taught me, sometimes God strips away every other thing from your life so that the only thing you have left is God to teach you to love God supremely. Sometimes God just strips away everything else so that all we have is God, and we can either turn to Him and trust in Him, or we can just go off into the wilderness living our lives joylessly. And by the way, I think that there are some, I know that there are some in our family of faith that have chosen to walk along the wilderness road living a joyless life. And I regret that for you because you're missing so much. And the reality is that God will leverage difficult days, traumatic times, to teach us. Uh, I, I, want you to, I want you to pick up uh, the story um, and uh, Joel chapter 1. Uh, just, just look at verses 2 and 3. Joel says, hear this. Now, when you hear here, H-E-A-R, when you hear here, in the Old Testament especially, but also in the New Testament, it is more than just listen with your ears. It is listen with your ears so it sinks down into your soul and you start living differently. That's here, okay? So, uh, God says through Joel, hear this, you elders, all right, elders, who are the elders? Elders are the older people. I'm, I'm, I turned 55 this, this year, and some of y'all would say, oh, you're still a young pup. Others of you would not be so kind. You, you, no, you're old. And, and so I, I'll take whichever. It doesn't matter. Hear this, you elders. Give ear. And, and give ear there is one word in the Hebrew, and it means to listen. Give ear, all you inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in our days or even the days of, our, our, uh, in days of your fathers? Tell your children about it. Let your children tell their children and their children another generation. And he goes on and talks about the locusts. Now, here's, here's what God's saying. God's saying, okay, this may be an unprecedented thing. The locust plague may be unprecedented, but, but here's what's got to happen. You got to teach the younger generation, especially, that this is happening but it's not the end. So, some of us uh, who have walked uh, life with Jesus for a period of time, we've learned, haven't we? I hope. If we haven't learned, it's because we're not learning. But, but if, if we've walked with Jesus for a period of time, we've learned that even in the deepest, darkest valley, Jesus is with us and he's sustaining us, and he's encouraging us, and he's correcting us, and he's strengthening us. 
He is with us and and that he is with us in such a way that we might not be able to tread water any longer, might feel like we're drowning in a sea of despair, going down for the last count. But Jesus says, I've got you. And what God wants us to do as followers of Jesus, especially those of us who walked the path a little bit longer than others, is not to sink in the despair so much so that all we can do is run around like Chicken Little saying the sky is falling. Even if the sky is falling, we know that God has hold of his people. And we're okay. It might not be fun. Can you imagine living in a world where the sky falls? It's not going to be fun. But when our hearts beat in sync with the heart of the Father, we live with joy, even when the sky is falling. And that's our job. Uh, COVID taught me a lot. It really did. It taught me a lot, and, and a lot of lessons about myself, a lot of lessons about our church, and a lot of lessons about people in general. Uh, it taught me that there's a lot more crazy out there than I ever thought. I mean, truly, just, just crazy. It taught me that um, there are moments in the history of our lives and our lifetime where followers of Jesus have an opportunity to stand up and make a difference for God's kingdom by showing the calm confidence that we have in the face of crazy chaos all around us. And it taught me that some of us are doing that well, while others not so well. It taught me that I've done it well, and I've also done it not so well. But can I, can I humbly suggest that with COVID, the goal was never, ever, ever to create carnage in the soul of God's people. But make no mistake, God's goal through COVID was to train us, to teach us, to depend upon Him more, And to grow in intimacy with him in a greater fashion. Have you done? Have you done? It's not too late to learn the lesson. And Joel was sent by God to teach the teachable moment to God's people. And it's a timeless message that speaks to us today. What is this timeless message? There are essentially three parts of this message that he's supposed to teach. The first is bad things happen. And bad things happen to God's people. Job lived it. Jesus promised it in John 16, 33. If you believe that because you're a follower of Jesus, you're immune to bad times, bad things, then you're not reading scripture. Bad things happen to God's people. And the second thing that uh, uh, Joel was sent to teach is not only bad things happen, but um, God uses those bad things to draw us closer to himself. Now, God, 
God uses those things. I, I'm looking at Stephanie right now. And Stephanie, uh, I preached a message several years ago talking about a grain of sand in an oyster. Nobody enjoys the idea. You think about it, an oyster gets a grain of sand in, in the oyster uh, shell, and that grain of sand just, just grits and grinds, and it becomes a, a real pain. Think of uh, just a piece of dirt in your eye. But forever, this is your life as an oyster. You have that grain of sand. And that grain of sand continues to grind in that, in that oyster, but it takes the grain of sand to create a pearl. Without the grain of sand, there will be no pearl. The reason I point that out to Stephanie is because Stephanie made a comment to me when I preached that and talking about how that was meaningful. Anyway, so here's the deal. God uses the circumstances, the difficult days, the, the grains of sand to create a pearl in us. And that pearl is a life of purity before God, holiness in His purpose, and faithfulness to Him. And Joel was sent to teach, hey, bad things happen, but God leverages those bad things to create uh, a pathway to blessing. Don't miss the teachable moment of difficult days. Now, also, this is a prelude to even harder times. Verse 15, Joel talks about the day of the Lord. Next, uh, in two weeks, we're going to be focusing in on the day of the Lord. Day of the Lord is a day of judgment. We've got to be ready for that. So today, this locust plague of our life and our lifetime is difficult, but it's preparatory for us to be ready for an even greater day of difficulty so that our hearts are right before God. Really, it comes down to, is your heart right before a holy God? That's the teachable moment. Whatever it is that you're going through, the teachable moment, is your heart right before a holy God? The second thing that if we're going to uh, walk the path of God restoring joy in us, we've got to uh, embrace that teachable moment. The second one is we've got to embrace the pain fully. Now, uh, verses 1 through 20 is filled with imperatives or commands. Those commands, all of them, focus in on uh, embracing pain. Pain is um, a, a natural reaction to a stimulus that is unpleasant. So if I put my hand on a stove top that is hot, I will feel pain. And that pain will blister my hand. And I will, I will look at that and say, I do not like to do that. That is not a fun thing for me. Um, when we look at pain in our lives, it, 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 there is a meaning behind that pain that should educate us. But in order to get to the meaning behind the pain, we've got to embrace the pain fully. Now, what, uh, what happens here in this passage is, is that God tells the people of, uh, tells all the inhabitants, drunkards, priests, all the inhabitants of the land, he says, feel the pain. In verse 5, he talks to drunkards and he says, uh, he says, weep and wail, after he tells them to wake up. He says, wake up and then weep and wail. Uh, we've got to weep and wail for the pain in the present. Verse 8, uh, <clears throat> we've got to grieve our loss. Verse 8 is the picture of a young woman 
ready to be married to the bride of her, uh, to the husband of her youth. They haven't had the marriage ceremony yet. Before the marriage ceremony happens, the groom dies. That's the grief. That's the loss. Uh, Verse 9 tells us that we should mourn the uh, devastation that distance between us and God brings. Verse 11 tells us that we should be ashamed uh, for our lack of devotion and dependence upon God because the farmers, they were counting on how they planted and sowed and reaped to bring about a harvest. It didn't happen. And so God says, you need to be ashamed because you weren't dependent upon me. You were dependent upon yourself. Um, So uh, again, ashamed, lament, mourn, weep, wail. All of those are imperatives to feel the pain fully. Ultimately, what we need to understand is if I'm walking through this life and I'm a follower of Jesus and I lack joy and I'm feeling pain, I need to understand why I lack joy and why I'm feeling pain. And and it's not just the circumstances around me. There's something deeper that's causing that pain, that loss. Get behind the meaning. And in order to get to behind the meaning, you've got to feel the pain. One of the things that Edie and I have been praying for me, not for her, just for me, uh, because I, I struggle with this, is, oh, God, help Eric to feel what he needs to feel. Not, not just to glibly walk past a painful moment, not not just to uh, uh, run around the difficult circumstance, but actually sink into the pain and find the meaning behind the pain. What is it that's causing you to suffer today? And you might say, well, it's because my boyfriend doesn't like me or my girlfriend broke up with me. You might say it's because I lost my job. And, or, or you might say it's because my car, uh, it won't start. All those things are symptoms. They're painful, but they're symptoms. What God is trying to get the children of Israel to do and get us to do is look to the meaning behind that. Weep and wail. Feel the pain fully. What is causing such pain? And without fail, what causes great pain, regardless of circumstance that we face, what causes that great pain and suffering has something to do with our relationship with God. I wake up tomorrow morning and I don't feel joy. I mean, feel it. I don't feel joy. I just feel only sadness and sorrow. I don't, I, don't, I don't hear any note of joy in my soul. What do I, uh, what do, I do? What, what does Eric Thomas do? I, I believe what Jim Cimbala said. Jim Cimbala said that if we would spend uh, 20 minutes every day with an open Bible and an open heart, it would cure 95% of our spiritual problems. I believe that. I believe, I believe that God will pinpoint the places in my life that are distanced from him, regardless of circumstance I'm facing. See, my, my concern for us, for you and for me, is that we don't go first to the sin of our soul. If I'm not feeling a hint of joy in my life, I'm not looking to you and saying, well, why did you treat me that way? You're the problem, not not me. No, my first response, when I don't feel joy in my soul, my first response is to look inward. God, is there sin in my soul that's creating this disease of despair? Can, can, I, can I suggest that maybe that's a good pathway? And by the way, if you're looking for sin in your soul, you will find it. 
because it's there. I know some of y'all get tired of your preacher, pastor, talking about how he has sinned. I, I know you do. I, I've, heard, I've gotten the letters, I know. Can I tell you why I talk about me being a sinner? I know it doesn't seem respectable to some of y'all because y'all have had pastors that haven't preached like that. But I've been doing this all my life, either as a preacher's kid or a preacher. And one thing I know for sure, I don't need to be on any pedestal. Ever. I'm a man just like you are, and I sin just like you do. The more I spend time with Jesus, the more I recognize my sin. And every locust plague in my life, God wants to leverage to clean up my heart. So I need to let him. I need to embrace the pain fully. Not just so I can feel the pain, but so that, the third point, I can embrace God together with you. Um, as, as we close out, and, and this is the end of it, but what Joel does is he hears from God and he speaks to, his, uh, to the people of God. And he's saying, listen, I know that you lack joy. Joy and gladness, they've withered. But there is hope for joy. God can restore you, but you've got to embrace this teaching moment. Stop looking at the pain as the only thing there is to learn. Go straight to your relationship with God. Look to your relationship with God. Don't blame other people for your pain and leave it there. Look to your relationship with God. Is there a reason why I don't have joy in spite of how somebody else may treat me or whatever circumstance I may feel? Jesus promised fullness of joy. Why am I not feeling that fullness of joy? Is there something I need to work on in my relationship with God? That's why... Uh, beginning in verse uh, 13, uh, this final section, God says to the people, gird yourselves and lament, you priests. Wail, you minister before the altar. Come, lie all night in sackcloth, you who minister to my God for the grain offering and the drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. Verse 14, consecrate a fast. Call a sacred assembly, gather the elders and the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord, your God, and cry out to the Lord. It's not minimizing the struggle. It's not minimizing the pain, but it's pointing it in the right direction. When we're going through joyless, hapless seasons, we need to get to God and we need to get together with the people of God as they get to God. Um, one of the things that we've learned in covid uh, statistic that's come out recently is uh, the average church in America is only 36% of what it was before COVID was. And in other words, the church today is running about 36% of what it ran in people every weekend. 36%. You know what that says? It says that people ran away from the church through the trauma of the locust plague. They ran away from the church. And, and we see something similar here. In the language of the passage of verse 13, it says to the priest, you need to get to the church. Come to the church. They should have already been there. But they were. He said, you need to get to the church. And then he says, now you need to call a sacred assembly. Get other people to the church. Why? 
because it's with the people of God that we find the nourishment and strength joined together. It's where God calls out those places in our lives that are um, um, disconnected from intimacy with Him. It's in the family of faith that God has created that we can correct each other and exhort each other and encourage one another. So here's a hard thing that I'm going to say, okay? And you haven't heard me say this in two years, maybe longer, but I need to say it today. I know, and I'm, I know that there are exceptions to this, and I know that there are people online, and you're online for good reasons, and you're not here with us for good reasons, and I understand that. So I, this is not directed to you. But for those who are able to gather with the people of God corporately and choose not to, that's why you won't have joy. Won't have joy. God has called his people to gather together. And you can't ignore a commandment from God and think that you're going to find joy. It doesn't work that way. So you might have all these uh, other things that happen in your life and in your world, and you say, well, I just don't really have time or I really don't want to go to church today. And I would say to you, you're forfeiting the fullness of joy. And it's joy not found in my buds or at church. And it's joy that's not found because um, there's some uh, sacred thing that's happening in the room. Uh, It's it's not joy because the preacher was especially uh, uh, flourishing today. It's not joy because we sang a song that I liked and refrained from singing songs I don't like. No, that's not what produces joy in the family of God. What produces joy in the family of God is that the people of God to get to get together under the Spirit of God, united uh, for the heart of God the Father in worship to Jesus Christ our King. There is our joy. And it secures us and it strengthens us and it nourishes us every single day. So friends, I just want to encourage you. And, and again, again, I'm, I'm preaching to the rule, not the exception. If you're the exception, please understand. I understand. Okay. But if you've just decided, I don't want to be at church today because I don't want to be at church today, you're being disobedient to God. Okay? Now, the rest is on you, and the rest is between you and a holy God. I just, it's my job to let you know that you've got to be obedient. I've got to be obedient. If I'm going to find joy, I've got to be obedient. There is a connection between obedience to God and fullness of joy. And if we don't understand that, then we are way babes in Christ. Okay. All right. That being said, I, I, I just want to, again, show you the benefit of being with God's people. In Hebrews chapter 10, 24 and 25, it says, it says, uh, that we should get together so that we can, to, we're, we're get together to consider one another so that we might stir up love and good works in one another. You realize what happens in this, in, in this gathering, whether it's in small groups or this larger group, what happens is we're stirring up love and good works. That, that's what we're supposed to be doing. 
Stirring up love and good works. That's what I want. I want to stir up love and good works. I want love and good works stirred up in me. I want, I want that. That's what produces joy. When we call a sacred assembly, which by the way is every Sunday for the family of faith, the sacred assembly every Sunday, we give voice to a restored soul when we get together and we stir up love and good works in one another. Verse 25, Hebrews 10, 25. Therefore, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the custom of some, uh, but get together. And even more so as you see the day of the Lord approaching. In two weeks, we're going to be talking about the day of the Lord. We need to be ready for the day of the Lord. The locust plague of our life is just a precursor to the day of judgment that God's bringing. You don't hear me talk a lot about that. We can have joy when we pursue God with our whole heart. So that means that we've got to lament. We've got to get right. Is your heart right with a holy God? I mean, every aspect of your heart. Don't, don't just compartmentalize it and say, well, this piece is okay, but that piece isn't. Is your heart right with a holy God? Every piece of you. So as we close today, I know five minutes ago I said we were closing. This is it. As we close today, I, I just, I want to leave you with James chapter 4, beginning of verse 6. James chapter 4, verse 6, second part of verse 6, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Uh, therefore, resist the devil, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your, be, let, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. All right, so here's, here's the challenge. You can't do anything about your circumstances today. If you think your circumstance is what causing you not to have joy, not to have restored joy in your soul, you can't do anything about those today. You can't fix your circumstances. You can ask God to fix it. That's why you cry out to the Lord. But you can't fix your circumstances. But here's what you can do. You can fix your sin. Lament and mourn and weep. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Set your heart, your soul, your life on a pathway to joy, even though you can't do anything about your circumstances. Set your heart, your life, your soul on a pathway to joy by submitting to God right now. As we surrender ourselves to Him completely, without reservation, say, God, I, every piece of me you've got then God promises when we humble ourselves before him in that way, he humbles to lift us up, to restore us to joy. So today, in these next few moments, as we sing the last song together, I want us to, I want us to take time and lament and mourn and weep. And you can do that right where you are. You can do it here at the altar. Lament and mourn and weep. Over your sin. Now, you can lament, mourn, and weep over your circumstance too, but deal with your sin first. 
See, our church needs to be healthy. You and I, we need to be healthy. But the only way we can get to health is by dealing with the sin of our soul. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. This altar will be open for you to come and join me at the altar in prayer. Cleansing my hands as a sinner and purifying my heart. So, Father, in these next few moments, will you do the work of grace that you have destined to do, that you have determined that you would do? I pray that you would draw to yourself those whom you are calling with the response that you call us to make. I pray that you would take the words that you share through your word and pierce my heart. Pierce the hearts of those who have gathered here. Speak, and we will obey. And now, Father, I call among this people a sacred assembly where we will cry out to you in repentance. It's in the name of Jesus we